Good morning. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up and turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, just raise your hand. And there's people from the Frontlines team that are coming to the front. They love to pass you a Bible so you can pat, follow along. And if you, if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to keep this and make it your own. So, again, that's Matthew chapter 18. If you're using one of these black Bibles that maybe somebody has just passed you, you can turn to page 823. And I'm going to start at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Check, now every can hear me. Great. Okay. All right. Let's get back to this. So uh, Matt introduced us to a, a new series last week, and we're calling it Stories Jesus Told. Uh, and yes, last week he talked to us about uh, parables, uh, metaphorical stories that Jesus used in order to talk about really big things. And as I sort of started learning about this parable and parables in general, I, I really got to see the brilliance of Jesus as a teacher. You know, in, 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 a, in a Greco-Roman culture, in a mostly Western culture, we sort of have this understanding of how to deliver a concept or how to teach a concept. We have uh, the concept and then we add on an illustration to it and then the concept is understood better. But in a Middle Eastern setting and, and the example that Jesus is sort of showing here is that he's bringing out these grand ideas from a very basic human uh, ongoing that happens in our daily lives. So in the time of Jesus, um, having shepherds and having sheep, these were regular things that happened. And, and as, as I studied this uh, passage again, if we can go to the map, um, which is on the next slide, 
it is, it is very likely that Je- as Jesus was sharing these stories or this particular story that he was actually on the top part of the map there in, 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 a, in an area called Galilee, sort of walking from uh, Caesarea Philippi to Bethsaida to Capernaum. And as you can see from the map, there, there are a lot of hilly structures there. So it's very likely that Jesus was actually noticing these shepherds as they chose to graze on these hilly areas. And they're not always grassy, they're kind of arid, so shepherds had to sort of travel a lot in order to feed their sheep. So he was really talking about this grand thing by, ta- by, by bringing it out of something really basic and something that we see uh, in our culture or that he saw in his culture at the time. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. He shows his brilliance and how he's able to teach from very simple things, really big things. Um, Last week, Matt talked to us about the kingdom of heaven and how Matthew often talks about the kingdom of heaven. He Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven as a treasure found in, 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 in a land that a laborer is sort of working on. And he loves this treasure so much that he sells everything that he has in order to buy this land so that he can use this treasure. And then he goes on to talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven in a way where if you have the kingdom of heaven or if you understand it, ooh, this is coming back on. Check one, two, mic check. Ooh, there you go. Now I'm deserving of the lapel mic. I started with something good, apparently. <laughs> um, so we sort of enter, um, sorry, so Matt last week was talking to us about the kingdom of heaven and how the, it's like a treasure that we find in the ground. And then he goes on to talk about if you have this kingdom of heaven, you can be like a master that brings out all of his treasure to show off to all of his friends really uh, inviting more and more people into this kingdom. And that's what he wants his followers to do, to invite more and more people into this kingdom. The starting of this chapter sort of continues that theme of the kingdom of heaven. And, it, and you'll see this as you read the, the book of Matthew. But the first thing that we see here is the disciples ask a very odd question. So in, in verse 1 in chapter 18 in Matthew... Uh, It reads, at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this question sort of starts Jesus on uh, a teaching path. But the reason he wants to teach about this is because in spite of the fact that Jesus is inviting more and more people into this kingdom, the first question that the disciples have, his own followers have for him, is who is going to be the most powerful? Who is, what is my role in this kingdom of heaven? Where do I stand in this kingdom of heaven? And really, I think we can all relate to this. Like we often seek power, authority, influence, but we often latch ourselves onto people that are powerful, that have a lot of authority so that we could be lifted up and want that authority. But Jesus is introducing us to a kingdom that is actually radically different from the way his disciples are understanding it and and the way some of us sometimes understand uh, a good kingdom. He, He goes on to say that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to humble yourself as a child. And then he goes on to say on top of that, you need to run away from anything that is wicked and anything that is sinful and run away from the brokenness in your own heart. And if he wanted to, to make his point, he could have left it there. But this is another side 
of which I love the way Jesus teaches because unlike most religious teachers, unlike most moral teachers, Jesus is a teacher that's really realistic. Because in spite of the fact that we might all want to be humble, in spite of the fact that we all want to live holy, righteous, brokenless lives, we are all prone to falling short of our own standards, let alone the standards that we feel God has for us. So this story is really a story of hope for the, the human reality that we're in, that we are going to fall, we are going to get lost. But God is our good shepherd. Um, this story actually is unique as well in, in, a, in a couple of ways. Um, first of all, in Matthew, we encounter, we encounter the story for the first time in Matthew, but it actually appears uh, in another book in the Bible, so uh, in another gospel called Luke, Luke chapter 15. Um, and the gospels, the first four books of the Bible are really uh, stories of Jesus as he lived on this earth. So a lot of stories are repeated often. But this particular story is repeated twice in two different contexts. So here we see that Jesus is talking to his disciples, people that are sort of following him. But in Luke 15, Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees who were portrayed as these hypocritical religious leaders um, and, and how they fell short of actually see, seeking people that were not part of God's family yet. They did a bad job of seeking people that were not in, in the flock, so to speak. Um, and, and what this teaches me and what we can learn from this is regardless of whether you're a, family, whether you're a Christian and you're a follower of Christ or, or whether you're not and you're just visiting and you're exploring, something that we all have in common as human beings is that we all fall short um, and we often get lost. And this is a story of hope for us. Jesus introduces us here to two main characters First, you have uh, this man, this good shepherd, uh, and then you have this lost sheep. Um, and in order to sort of connect with this, I'd like to look into the significance of both of these characters. First of all, we encounter uh, this good shepherd. Um, shepherding, or like the role of a shepherd, was actually practically looked at as a very low-class job. If you were a shepherd or you were born into uh, you were born into a sh shepherding family. You weren't the most influential people in your community. But on the other hand, shepherding in the Bible is actually often used as a leadership metaphor. Uh, so in the Old Testament, you see people like Moses. Uh, we went through a whole series on Exodus uh, last year, and we encountered this, uh, this man named Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was considered a shepherd of his people. Uh, the great King David, as some of us might be familiar with, was also considered a shepherd and called a shepherd. Um, and, and prophets like Amos as well in the Bible are referred to as a shepherd. So even though practically it held a very low status in society to be a shepherd, it was also used as a greater metaphor of leadership in the culture that Jesus was talking to. So he was talking to various different people all at the same time, adding to how much I truly believe and reiterate how brilliant of a teacher he really was. Um, but what we, learn about, uh, what we learn about shepherds is, is really important. First of all, a good shepherd protects his flock, protects his sheep. That's a primary role that a shepherd has, especially when they go out grazing. And 
Often you see shepherds having two main objects that he uses in order to do this job well. One is a rod, right? So it's a fairly short object. It's club-like. It's fairly, it's a dense piece of wood that he uses to sort of hammer at anything that tries to attack a sheep, whether it's an animal or whether it's another man trying to steal his sheep. He uses this to sort of whack at them. You wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a shepherd's rod. Let's, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> the, the other object that, he, uh, that a shepherd often has is a staff. So it's a longer, thinner object. And it usually has a hook at the end of it. And what the shepherd uses this for is to sort of rein in sheep that are sort of going astray, to sort of hold them by their necks and bring them in, leading them in the way that he is going. So both of these things are, are, are used by the shepherd to sort of protect his flock and David, uh, one of the shepherds that, we were, uh, that I was talking about earlier, he, he refers to God as the shepherd that uses, uh, that uses both of these. In, in Psalm 23, David talks about God by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in verse 4 of the same chapter, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So really, a good shepherd protects his flock, and, and when we are led by a good shepherd, we feel comforted um, by the shepherd that we're with. Secondly, a shepherd cares incredibly for his sheep. As you can imagine, if you're a shepherd and that, that was your job, your sheep have amazing economic value to you. So they are used for their hair, their milk, their meat. They have economic value. But deeper than that, a good shepherd cares for his flock because if he is a shepherd that has a reputation of being lackluster or losing sheep, he actually, it impacts his reputation not just amongst other shepherds, but amongst his community as well. People would not want to trade with him. People would not want to associate themselves because he is, he is not, he's not a successful person. So a good shepherd cares incredibly for the health of his flock because sometimes his reputation sort of rides on it. Thirdly, a good shepherd rejoices when one straying sheep is found. As much as a shepherd wants to keep all of his sheep together, we'll be learning about sheep in a little bit. One characteristic is that they, they often get lost no matter what. No matter how good the shepherd is, sometimes sheep often get lost. And then often what happens is as as the shepherd brings back the flock, he realizes a few sheep have gone missing. He runs back on top of the hill or on top of the mountain that he was looking for this lost sheep. Uh, shepherds in the culture even today are uh, considered like really great mountaineers because they have this ability to just go up and down the mountain, find the sheep, carry them down. Um, and bring them back to their flock. And when he brings them back, he's often rejoicing with his family and friends because he doesn't have to deal with the consequences of losing said sheep, right? So uh, a shepherd really rejoices when a straying sheep is found. So what about these sheep? Um, myself and my wife had some fun researching sheep. They're fascinating animals, but there are three things I'd like to sort of bring up about them. One... Sheep need leading. Sheep are often unobservant of their surroundings. 
Uh, they're, they're really focused on one thing, and they do that one thing well. So if they're, uh, if they're eating, they're, they're eating. They're not really concentrating on what's happening around them. They follow without really looking at who they're following. Uh, they, they can seem sort of aimless where they are and unobservant of the things that are happening around them. Uh, secondly, uh, sheep are defenseless in the wild. It was, it was interesting to note that uh, there is only one species of sheep that is wild. And of that one species, they actually, there's actually more relation with that species of sheep than uh, with a mountain goat. So the sheep has horns. It, it's, it, it has facilities where it could sort of protect itself. But the type of sheep that Jesus is talking about and, and most of us, the way we understand sheep, they're kind of defenseless in the wild. If an animal gets a hold of them, they have, they have very little that they could actually do to protect themselves. If they get lost, it's very hard for them to find their way back. And lastly, sheep have a flocking behavior. Uh, there's often uh, unique sounds that is shared between a shepherd and his sheep. Uh, so whether it's like a click, like, or a woo, 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 woo type of sound. He has this, I, I, I can't attempt to do it properly. Um, but they usually have this unique sort of relationship where they have this unique sound with their sheep. So when they hear the sheep, the entire flock sort of herds towards or responds to the sound. But there are also often times where sheep sort of lead themselves and lead themselves astray. Uh, there was this one instance in 2005 uh, in Turkey uh, where a fairly large flock of sheep got themselves into trouble because of one. Uh, so this one sheep walked towards a cliff, and again, this sort of reiterates the fact that they're not really in tune to what's happening around them. The sheep jumps off, and he jumps to his death. 400 other sheep followed this guy. All jump right off the cliff to their deaths. And, and this flock had around 1,500 sheep in them, and you would think the other thousands are clued in and they didn't follow suit? No, no, they did. The only reason they were alive is by the time there were 400 sheep dead. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of gruesome, but it's also kind of funny if you think about it. <laughs> they sort of jumped onto a pillow, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was kind of gruesome. All of this to say, all of this to say, uh, sheep have this flocking behavior and sometimes they're following rightly, but sometimes they could follow wrongly and it causes them to something like that where they could die. And you know, uh, as, as we look at this sheep and shepherding analogy, uh, there, there are quite a few times as, as in the Bible where sheep are used as an ana uh, animal connection uh, to a human being. Sometimes humans are referred to like sheep. Uh, David Murray, uh, in, in one of his blog posts, he wrote, perhaps the main reason scripture chooses sheep to categorize us more than any other animal is because of its well-deserved reputation of straying and getting lost. And I don't know about you, but as I think through my life, there are so many instances in my life where I've, I, I felt I've strayed and I've gotten lost. Uh, one of those uh, moments in my life actually happened quite recently, around six months ago, uh, as some of you may know, 
Uh, I was put before an ordination council, and it's not as magical or mystical as it seems. Uh, what it is, is it, it's a group of uh, church leaders from our broader church family, not just this church, but other churches around us, coming together to sort of test me to see if I can handle articulating my faith well, if I could handle the office of a pastor well. If you've known me for more than a week, you'll realize very quickly that I'm not the most outgoing guy. I'm clearly not the most active guy. I'm growing in that. But um, the one thing I sort of prided myself on in a way was that I, I loved academics. I love learning. I did really well in school. So this sort of testing of my knowledge I thought would be in my wheelhouse. I, I thought I got this. Like, th this is something I could be good at. And I sort of came into this situation very overconfident, not really realizing what was actually going to happen on that day. And as many of you know, that day did not turn out the way I hoped. <laughs> uh, it turned out quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> It's kind of funny looking back now. I mean, it still sort of hurts, but from the first question on, man, I got so nervous. I fumbled literally every question after. Uh, I remember distinctly them asking me to leave the room, and they had this big deliberation um, or where they made, they tried to make their decision, and I was sort of invited back in. And... It, did, it didn't surprise me, but when they told me that they didn't feel confident in ordaining me, there was an amazing sensation of weakness that just came over. One of the reasons being I thought I would be strong at doing something like this, but the reality was quite the opposite. I, I, I embarrassed myself in, in how nervous I was. And in, in my weakness, I sort of started to get lost in my own mind. Should I be doing this? If I can't do this, what type of a leader am I going to be? Can I be a church planter? In my weakness, I sort of led myself astray in a whole slew of lostness. I remember sort of resenting, uh, wrongly resenting some of the people were part, that were part of the council, some of my own friends. It led me to an area of sin or brokenness in my life very quickly. And I, I don't know about you guys, and uh, I, I know not a lot of us have been in a very similar situation, but maybe you can level with me to a point where you felt weak, and in that weakness you sort of questioned your identity and sort of felt lost when you started doing that. This is how we can relate uh, to this lost sheep, to being this lost sheep sometimes. But in spite of the fact that we might be able to connect with this lost sheep, the hero of this story, thankfully, is not this lost sheep. The hero of this story is this good shepherd. And what Jesus is trying to do here is tr he's trying to say that Jesus is, or himself, God is our greatest shepherd. First of all, Jesus is a shepherd that pursues us. In Matthew 18, 12, Jesus starts off by saying, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and all of them have gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one that went astray? He, he is a God that came down so that he could pursue all of us that were lost and bring us back into the family of God, bring us back into his flock. 
He says this about himself in Luke 19.10. For, for the Son of Man, for I, Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. That was his mission here. This was a grand rescue mission here on this earth. I don't know if you guys caught this last week, but there was a, uh, there was a news story about a team of Thai soccer players that found themselves lost in the cave. And slowly, as the rescue mission uh, sort of started to be more positive, one by one, they got saved, and all of them got saved including their coaches, and there was not just great rejoicing with them, there was rejoicing all over the world. Jesus comes on this rescue mission to save those of us that, that are lost, all of us that are lost. But secondly, there is great rejoicing when a lost sheep is found. Matthew 18.13 says that, and if, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. There is great rejoicing when all of us lost ones are found one by one. There is great rejoicing that Jesus has. There is great rejoicing in, in the family of God, the church. In, in the parallel story in Luke, uh, Jesus actually says, the angels in heaven are rejoicing when one sinner repents and comes into the family of God. There is great rejoicing when a lost sheep is found. Thirdly, Jesus calls his sheep to be like the good shepherd. So not only is he the good shepherd that pursues us, not only does he rejoice when us lost ones are found, here he's actually calling us as a sheep to be like the good shepherd. Jesus here, let me remind you, is talking to his disciples, his followers, and saying, instead of pursuing power and authority, lead like I do and seek the lost and the weak among you. We as a family want to lift each other up. Seek out the weak amongst us and lift each other up as Jesus does for us. And we don't do it in a prideful and arrogant way. We do it in, in a way where we're humble, acknowledging that we were all once lost sheep. Tim Laniak, in, in, in one of his books, he says, Our theology of leadership is informed by this breathtaking choice of God to grant royal prerogatives to his creatures. To be made in his image is to rule with him and for him. So when we become followers of Christ, we're also called to be leaders and, and under-shepherds under Jesus. But what he also continues to say is that every shepherd leader is first and always a sheep who relates to God as my shepherd. This form of leadership completely flips the script in the culture that they were in and arguably in the culture that we're in too. As followers of Christ, when you're part of this family, we're, we're called to not just seek our own gain. We're not called to seek our own fame. We have to have space in our lives to seek the ones that are lost and weak amongst us. In this church community, in our communities as large as missional communities, we seek people in our communities that are vulnerable. And to that point, I'd like to add, man, one of, one of the... Um, Sometimes weak and vulnerable people in our society are, are immigrants. I remember immigrating to this country and feeling completely lost uh, because everyone had their own secluded, like, fenced-out house, and they all did their own thing. 
It was kind of overwhelming to be new here and sort of try to do everything on your own. We, could, we have this great opportunity as a church to actually come around and say, no, we will be the family that you've left behind, where, wherever you've come from. We will help you in the things that you need help with. Why don't you consider the immigrant as we, as we seek in Guelph as it is in heaven? Lastly, Jesus is a shepherd that becomes a sheep. He becomes the perfect lamb. And this is the greatest news ever. In, in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, he says, uh, Paul says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus became the perfect lamb and, and took on the consequence of our lostness, took on the consequence of our weakness so that even though we still live in a broken world and we're often prone regardless of whether you're a Christian or whether you're just exploring and you're not part uh, a Christian yet, we no longer, this is great hope and this is good news because we no longer have to identify as weak and lost people Jesus has taken on the consequence of all that lostness, the death that comes along with that lostness. Jesus Jesus has taken away that consequence for us. So when we believe in him as our savior, we take on his identity in us. We are saved because of what he has done when he came down and humbled himself like a man. I know there are times where we don't necessarily feel (laughs) that God is pursuing us. We want to hide when we feel ashamed. I know I felt that uh, in in my experience. But this story of hope uh, that we have, the story of a shepherd that leaves the 99 so that he can search for that one lost sheep is a story of hope for us because, and a constant reminder for me that I am never alone, that God constantly pursues me. And even when I'm weak, I do not have to find my identity in my weakness and my lostness. I find my identity in him. To be honest with you, there were points after that experience where I wanted to give all of this up. And I promise you one of the key things, key areas where I find confidence in standing in front of you here today is because of the promise that he is made strong in my weakness. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, and God is informing Paul because Paul feels weak in this instance. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says this about himself. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are freed from the bondage of our weaknesses. We no longer have to identify with it. This is great news for all of us sitting here. This is great news for all of us sitting here. I no longer have to hide in shame. You no longer have to hide in shame. God pursues you. And that's great news for us. 
If you're in a particular season in your life where you do feel like a lost sheep, know that all of us have been there and and we as a church, we really want to communicate that we are not this hotel for rich and people, the rich or people have to have it all together. We're really a hospital for the sick. We're all sick and we all want to point towards our shepherd, the great shepherd, the lamb that gave up his life. We want to point all of us to him. So if you're here and, and, and you're in that sort of a season, I encourage you to come up and pray with us. There are going to be people stationed at the front uh, that would love to pray with you. If you're a leader in this, in this church community, if you're a leader in your MCs, if you're a leader at work, if you're a leader um, in your families and you often feel overwhelmed by the task of leadership, know that the gift of the Holy Spirit that we get because of Jesus The Holy Spirit gives us strength, and we can draw onto that strength. But I also encourage you to come up and pray with us as well. And and when you go back home today, pray pray for our leaders here in this church community. And lastly, if if you're a person here that feels uh, that God is calling you and finding you to be part of his flock, I, I I pray with you today and I, I encourage you to come up and pray with us because we want to rejoice with that with you and as much as we want to rejoice here, we know that there's going to be an even bigger party up in heaven. So I want to encourage you to come pray with us and let me pray. God, I thank you, God, that you are the good shepherd and you teach us to be the good shepherd. Lord, you empower us by your Holy Spirit to not uh, find our identity in how weak we are but how strong we are in you. Uh, Lord, you are ultimately mighty. Um, And Lord, you're strong. You protect us. Lord, may we find our comfort in that today. And when we're weak, may we feel strong in you. In Jesus' name, amen.